thine is the kingdom the power and the glory and we sang that in in, in the doxology as well we want all praise to come to him to our father in heaven we want to give him all the glory due his name and we looked at those in the last couple of weeks and today uh, today we concentrate as we continue to walk through the Lord's Prayer here in this series we come to thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven now, so as we looked at that first petition as we looked at the opening address already we've looked at so much we've dug in deep to um, the name of God to to his presence in heaven but not meaning that he is um, controlled or, or, or stuck in heaven but that he is able to come to earth too um, that he's omnipresent he's in both places at the same time we looked at the first petition at what it means to hallow his name and if you've been journeying with us uh, through this series so far then you, you, you've been pointed to the truth that God is and should always be first and foremost above all things and nothing is greater than he okay we've seen that the Lord's Prayer is a model a model for us to walk as we follow Jesus it's not possible for us to really be praying in this way to be praying the Lord's Prayer if we're not prepared and willing and actually putting in the effort to get to know God and to walk in his ways see we call him father and rightly so because we are part of his family having said yes to Jesus and having been grafted in to that family because of all that Jesus has done for us we pray hallow be your name and we can only say that and know about that because of all that he has revealed to us through his holy scriptures it's our duty to get to know him it's our duty to spend time in his word to spend time in prayer and then out of that to declare his glory over all creation you see last week i said that hallowing god is an every minute of everyday activity for a disciple of christ that we are to be doing so not just through our words but in our thoughts and in our actions as well acknowledging and surrendering to his awesome holiness there is no one more awesome than he and today we move on today we hent enter into the second and the third petition which said that thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven now in short what we're doing here is proclaiming his reign and acknowledging his purpose so let's take a deeper look at each of these petitions each of these petitions see as we pray that second petition we pray thy kingdom come and this is all about proclaiming God as king and the Heidelberg Catechism in answer to what is the second petition it starts with thy kingdom come that is rule us by thy word and spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to thee 
and Luther's small catechism. That tells us that, in fact, God's kingdom comes on its own without our prayer. But in this we ask, may it also come to us. And that this comes about whenever our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit, so that through the Holy Spirit's grace, we believe God's holy word and live godly lives in time and hereafter in eternity. I mean, to me, this is shouting to me at the moment. We're in the midst of a world which has got many, many different voices. Um, and these voices only seem to be getting louder and louder. When I was younger, I had a, a T-shirt that used to have a, a small um, piece of text. Uh, it just said, I do what the voices tell me. Um, there's so many voices. Henry Nguyen in his book uh, about, on the prodigal son and that painting by Rembrandt linking it with the, with the, with the, the, the parable. He talks a lot about this. Really worth a read if you want to go further and think about what voice are we listening to? See, these voices, they try to sway us. They try to control us. They attempt to bring the kingdom of God in line with that which we expect from an, an earthly kingdom, a kingdom of this world. But we know that the kingdom of God is not of this world. And Jesus himself spoke those words. You know, we, we look at him, uh, uh, John chapter 18, stood before Pilate. His words, he says, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. See, we as a church, we've got to be bold. We've got to be emphatic in declaring this truth. The kingdom of God, the kingdom which we proclaim to be the greatest kingdom, the kingdom to which we give our allegiance over and above all other kingdoms, isn't of this world. Now, we're not talking of the kingdom of God as a social kingdom whereby a social gospel is held up and followed. Now, there are churches that have gone this route, and if I'm honest, it just gets confusing and it becomes a spiral of disaster. The social gospel is a philosophy, but a philosophy that borrows from the real gospel, but without adopting its essential meaning. It talks of sin, yes, but not in terms of being abhorrent to God. It doesn't draw on the corruption of the whole human nature, but more on a specific element of the human race. And there's talk of Jesus, but not the Jesus that we meet in Scripture. The Jesus of the social gospel is one who only um, is of love. who One who is, oh, he's coming to sit and eat with sinners. But there's no draw to get to know the Jesus who watched the rich man walk away from him or who challenged the authorities of the day to be better or who overturned tables in the temple or instructed people to go and sin no more. We see comparisons between different Jesuses of which neither side is telling the full truth. For example, people put Jesus who condemns sinners against one who is a friend and, 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 and sits to eat with, with the outcasts. Oh, hello. 
Come on, we know that Jesus was and is both of these. Yes, he would sit and eat with a sinner, but in doing so, he is also condemning them and saying, go and sin no more. See, the social gospel is wrapped up in what is believed to be righteous action, but not the righteousness of God by faith in Christ. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of God, not a kingdom of man. It's not based on, on righteousness of human beings. It's based on the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, however appealing that the social gospel is, as a church, we have got to remain driven by the actual gospel, by the truth of God's inerrant word. Because a social gospel leads to a social kingdom, but God's word leads to the kingdom of God. Now, in praying, thy kingdom come, we're really praying for three things. We're praying that it come to us personally, as Luther's small catechism highlighted. We're praying that the church expresses it. And we're praying for the eschatological premise. Okay, so let's take one, of, one at a time. We, we pray for the kingdom to come personally, but, but how does it come? If the kingdom's not of this world, how do we see it? How do we feel it? How, how do we touch it? Well, I've said many times, um, those of you who know me will have heard this, um, the kingdom of God is wherever we declare Jesus to be Lord. Wherever we enthrone Jesus, where we declare his rightful place as king, there and there only is where we will see the kingdom of God in our lives. Mark 1:15, a very well-known verse for all of you here at St. John. Um, has Jesus on the scene just after John the Baptist has been arrested saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Now, other, transla other translations will say uh, the kingdom of God has drawn near or has arrived. But the point is that through Jesus, the kingdom is established. Without Jesus, the kingdom cannot be established. How does one enter this kingdom? Well, the gospel and the rest of scripture is pretty clear on this matter. If we're honest with ourselves, it is by, by becoming a disciple of Jesus, by choosing to follow Jesus in giving him your heart, your loyalty, your life, and letting him shape you, letting him mold you, letting him refine you. I think for a moment about Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in John 3. And Jesus is telling him that to enter the kingdom of God, one must be born of water and of spirit. And different translations will say born again or, or born from above. Now the essence of what Jesus is saying here is that nobody can enter the kingdom of God without the help of the Spirit. And that we need to humbly come to him, firstly asking for help, and secondly ref refusing to stay where we are. Okay, and how do we refuse to stay where we are? By not refusing to be changed in whichever way God deems necessary. So praying thy kingdom come on a personal level helps us to be reminded that Jesus' rule isn't one of tyranny. It's not a, a dic, a, it's not a dictatorship, but instead it's one of care. Because he is, after all, the good shepherd who cares for his sheep leaving 99 to go after the one who strayed and is in danger. 
And that leads us to that essential act of Jesus. It was to come to earth, to take our place on the cross, to suffer for our sins, to save us from death. And so the kingdom of God is the realm of grace. It is a place where the damage that we do to our mind, our soul, our body through sin is repaired. Praying for the kingdom of God to come, if we pray in all sincerity, is to pray that the Saviour who calls us to self-denial, to take up our cross, to give our life in service of the true gospel has utterly and completely got us. That's what we're praying for. We're praying to be completely wrapped up in Jesus. And it's the only prayer that we can pray for ourselves. We can't pray this for others. We can't pray this collectively, not in all sincerity, because we cannot know the heart fully of all those who we come to commune with. We can, we can hope to, and we may have some idea, but the larger the community gets, the harder it is to pray this collectively. Thy kingdom come on a personal level. But that does lead us to that second aspect that we're praying in this petition, for the church to express the kingdom. Because here we, we have to be very careful, we have to be very clear, because the church and the kingdom are separate. They're not the same thing. But there is an intrinsic connection. You see, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of Christ. Jesus is the one true king. And as we've already said, the membership of the kingdom depends on accepting Jesus Christ as Lord. So it really comes down to the fact that do we or do we not accept God's rule and all that comes with that? Including accepting Jesus Christ, who came to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to abolish them. See, accepting Jesus fully is to accept the kingdom, but to reject any part of Jesus or his message is to reject the kingdom. So as we take this thought further, uh, the kingdom of Jesus is God's rule through his son, by spirit and his word. It is because of this, it is because of the righteousness that has been bestowed on those who have submitted to Christ by the grace of God, that we as believers get to enter the kingdom, that we get to be welcomed at heaven's glorious gates. See, if we take this, and we take all of this, then we can equate that all who believe collectively make up the church. Yeah, it's not the building. It's, it's, not, it's not some grand idea. It's the people of God. And if we hold this in mind, then there are two things of great importance that we need to understand and we need to let it really permeate through us. And firstly, the church is the body of Christ, which has belonging to it, all of those who have said yes to Jesus and what we say grafted into the family of God. And from that, the kingdom of God does not extend beyond the spiritual rule of Christ. And that is 
that that must be realized in the church and so the spiritual rule of the kingdom really doesn't expand beyond the church the enormity of this is often missed the authority that jesus had he's given to us Only those who accept him can we welcome into the kingdom, expect to live by the rules of the kingdom. You know, what's the difference between a, a believer and a non-believer? A believer knows that they sin. We cannot expect those who don't know Jesus, who don't understand sin, to live by his rules to live by his commandments and we need to stop trying to do so our authority is not there now to be a member of the church is to be a member of the kingdom and paul refers to these people as as citizens of the kingdom members of the church are citizens of the kingdom but by citizen his understanding is very different than ours today see a citizen it does have more rights than a non-citizen, but they're still subject to the rule of the king. In Roman times, they were subject to the rule of Caesar, the emperor, the king, the, the self-proclaimed deity. Okay? When it comes to God's kingdom, okay, be a citizen. Have more rights than a non-citizen, but still subject yourself to the king. To be a member of the kingdom, it doesn't give us a voting ticket like a member of a congregational church here does. There's no say in which way we go, in which aspect of scripture we accept or we discharge. Uh -uh. To be a member of the kingdom, to be a citizen of heaven, is to be a subject of the king. And being a subject means subjecting oneself to his rule, subjecting oneself to his word and to his word alone over all other words over all other voices in culture and this leads us to that final aspect of this petition the the eschatological premise and what do i mean by this well we're, we're talking about the end times we're talking about uh, thinking about um coming up to a time when jesus christ comes again now up until now we've talked about the kingdom and, and i've expressed it in 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 terms of a kingdom of grace okay all are welcome yeah jesus we, our job as the church is to go and proclaim the gospel to make disciples that can make disciples so that people can be welcomed into the church welcomed into the church as it expresses the kingdom and therefore become part of the kingdom see we need grace in all things grace is it, it's so much more than just forgiveness far greater than just forgiveness we ask God for grace to live into our prayer we ask God for the grace to be a good person we ask God for the grace to be able to carry on in life and into the mission that he's called us to and when we pray for his kingdom to come we're praying that it comes now yes in our lives like we've just said but also that we can do that we do all that we can for this to be realized but as we do that we also pray for that end time 
We pray for the final destruction of evil. We pray for the coming of the new Jerusalem down to a new earth from a new heaven. And when this happens, the grace of the kingdom is gone. Scripture tells us that at the end times, they're going to come through war, famine, earthquake. And yet we're still praying for that to arrive. We're still praying for that to happen. To live our life now and to think about being part of the kingdom as we know it is, suffice to say, is to be a renegade. It's not the full story. To settle for this, to live a lie that this is as far as we go, that this is as good as it gets, that's to give in to the enemy. See, we're not called to be renegades, but we're called to be regenerates. Praying and living for the coming of the new. And even though this means praying for the end of grace, to receive Christ and the beginning of his judgment on those who have chosen not to, this is what praying thy kingdom come means. And so as we pray that, we also pray thy will be done. And that's the next petition, right? Praying the will of God here and now as it is in heaven. And these two petitions, they're intertwined. We move from proclaiming God's reign, both in our lives and the church and ultimately the end of days, to acknowledging his purpose, that his will be done in all things. And we've touched on this previous weeks a little with God is perfect. He's the greatest that there is. And, and because he is the creator of all things, all things are created in and by him. And all things owe him and are owned by him. Whether they choose to accept that or not is a different question. See, to be praying, thy will be done, it makes the purpose of prayer clear. Because we come to our Creator, to our Father, and we say, thy will be done. It's not praying for God to do our will, because that would be like the sorcerer in Acts, the practicing of magic. No. It is submitting ourselves to receiving and living into the calling and the title of being a subject of the kingdom. To pray for God's will to be done is above all else to be praying that our will not be done. And let's be honest, we all want to be able to pray this prayer, but we are also selfish. And we also do want our will to be done. But to pray for God's will to be done means we've got to lay aside our own agenda. If we have a heart for mission in Africa, for example, but because of this we neglect a local mission, then we're not living in line with God's will because his will is for mission in both areas. Not for us to neglect either. And we can often ask, what is the will of God for me and for my life? Well, in some things that's pretty clear. And in others, not so much. So think for a moment, um, do you think God is overly concerned with what you eat for dinner? Or which shampoo you wash your hair with? But there are other aspects of life where the, the possible avenue 
that you could walk down, both are equally good. And God is allowing you to make the choice in that matter. An example that comes to mind is, you know, um, who should I marry if you're not already married? And, and I remember a friend of mine as uh, worrying about whether to say yes or no to her boyfriend when he proposed to her. And she thought about God, um, what, what does God want me to do? And, and she went to God in prayer and she, she sought him and, and wanted to make sure that her decision would be in line with his will. And the response that she received was this. It was, child, it's up to you. It's up to you. See, God, as a good, good father, he doesn't want to control us and, and, and make every decision for us. Of course he doesn't. He wants us to learn and to lean on him, to commit to his commands and to live a life that is according to his word. Where there are choices to be made, and either of them are within his decrees, then we're free to choose that which we are drawn to most. But what we are not choose, what we are not free to do is to choose to walk outside of his will. Because entering the kingdom, it's not a one-time done agreement. We're called to walk in the ways of the kingdom. We're not called to settle on the idea that, yay, we've made it, I can sit back now. Because that would not be to walk in the will of God. It would be actively walking away from the will of God. It would be actively going against his precepts. So how do we best come to know the will of God? And the simple answer to that, spend time with him. See, we spend time in his word, we spend time in prayer, and this is how we understand and come to recognize his desires, his commands, his concerns. And scripture is clear that not everyone who comes to Jesus and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. To be looking at, at entering the kingdom, we have to be living the will of God. And this isn't a saved by faith versus saved by works debate thing. And I don't have time to go into that a whole deal today. Um, but if you want to go back and listen to our series on James, you get to understand where I sit on that debate. And, and simply, it, simply put, it's a both and, not an either or. Romans 12, 2, it, it reads this, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And if that doesn't say it clearly enough for you, then look to Ephesians 5, 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. See, those of us who believe who choose to say yes to Jesus and decide to walk in his ways, it's our job to understand the will of God. It's our job to understand the ways of the Lord. See, as we are expected to pray, and it's our duty to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. It's our duty to pray that. It's also our duty to live that. Because Jesus expects 
that we put the work in to get there. I've always said, you know, um, we're often the answer to our own prayer. Well, this is no exception. God's will is for us to be involved in the work that he has, de- has ordained for us. And the fact that this work is, 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 is and can be divisive only shows how much we need to be praying for his spirit to help guide us and for his grace to be with us. You think of grace as a shower, a blessing shower. And we need that as we go in to this work that he has called us to. Because yes, it's divisive. But we need to be praying, hallowed be your name in everything that we do. And if that's divisive, so be it. See, Jesus tells us in in, in many different areas, in many different ways about this division. And there was a great blog post that went out on Friday. If you haven't read it, go and read it. It's on our, uh, on our church blog. Uh, and it was referencing Matthew 13, 24 to 30, looking at the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And many other parables about, these, about the division. Um, the sheep and the goat, another one that come to mind. But what it all boils down to is this. We need to make a decision. We are either for the kingdom and the king, or we are against him. You see, Jesus tells us in, in Matthew 12, 25, that a house divided, it cannot stand. We must be united. A decision is needed. In fact, it's more than needed, it is required. And God is asking us to make it. The parables of the kingdom point to the lengths that Jesus shows us that we must go in seeking it. We need to be selling all that we have in order to go and get that pearl or, or purchase that field with the buried treasure in it. It's something that we must seek after quickly, not tardily. And now there is a cost, yes, to choosing to go after the kingdom. Just mentioned it. Selling all you have, getting rid of everything for that prize. It's a huge cost sometimes. But however costly it is, however radical it may seem, the offer of walking in the truth, of choosing to remain part of God's kingdom, of naming Jesus as Lord, as King, it is too good an offer to pass on. It's too important a choice to say no to because the consequences are eternal, not only for ourselves, but for all whom we go on to disciple. To pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's an awesome prayer. An awesome prayer. But for those who have rejected Jesus or any part of what he says, it's actually the very opposite of awesome. It's terrifying. See, our job as disciples is to keep true to the gospel. To know that the true gospel leads to God's will. To understanding God's will and thus to the kingdom. Because understanding God's will helps us to share the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom which is at hand. The good news is here. Repent and believe.